Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we are going to speak, be speaking with someone about speaking and giving presentations, things like that, because I think that's so important for so many people, whether they're an entrepreneur, small business owner, big business owner, um, you know, any of those various things, retired, as we will find out, because, you know, you can always continue to, to be working and, and living the dream. But we, I want to talk with an expert today on how to be a great public speaker. And maybe that is just in front of your church group, a committee meeting and a volunteer thing, or actually going and giving presentations for um, you know, large groups. And so please join me in welcoming today Gordon Hill to our program. So welcome. Hi, how are you, Deb? Hi, everybody. You know, we are going to have so much fun today. And so first, I need to tell people that you really, you know, your name is Gordon Hill, but you go by Story Gordon. And I love that. <laughs> so, you know, before, you know, let me tell people just a little bit about you. So, okay. um, Story Gordon arrived on January 1st, 1938. And yes, folks, you heard that right. My guest today is a wonderful 79 years old. Gordon has traveled six stages of living, childhood, adolescence, adult, maturity, mastery, and elder, leading to his current and seventh, which is enthusiast as Story Gordon. As a public speaker in many forms since 1955, he believes audiences' insight is the goal, a quality realized within by a good story. How has this come to be? Well, Gordon lives in the cycle of realization, paying attention, assessing the situation, considering alternatives, making choices, recycling forever, no matter what. He's been around. He's worked. He's been unemployed. He's been good. He's been not so good. He's been fired, laid off. He owned a business. He retired. He volunteered. And he's consumed enough coffee negro to float a big boat. So again, Gordon, welcome so much to our program. Thank you, Deb. It's a pleasure. I, I enjoy this. Well, and, you know, not only are we going to, to learn a lot today, we are going to have so much fun. And I could tell that by looking, <coughs> excuse me, at your website, which is storygordon.com. But more importantly, you have a YouTube channel. And I love that because we have so many people that struggle with technology that think maybe that's, you know, not the best way to go, all these various things. And of course, we all know that video is the way to reach so many people. And, you know, I don't even know how many minutes and hours of video watching people do anymore. It's, it's a huge number. But having a channel on YouTube is so cool. But let's let's step back a bit. And, you know, explain to us why, you know, you retired, you retired in 2001, and you are the most unretired, retired person I think I know, but why did you decide to kind of go into this next stage of your career and of your professional life? Well, Deb, as you said, uh, I, I see life as unfolding in stages mm -hmm. uh, from, actually from... Uh, 
gestation, if you will, is the first stage right. where you go from being a single cell to like 25 billion cells in 280 days. Mm -hmm. But then, as you said, from childhood up through mastery and then elder and then enthusiast. So I got that idea from the philosopher Eric Hoffer. Okay. And I thought, he said, life unfolds in stages of 13 years each. And I said, well, that's kind of silly because I'm an engineer and I know things don't work like that. Mm -hmm. So I did a timeline of my life and I said, okay, where are the significant changes in my life? And they were almost exactly 13 years apart. Hmm, interesting. So I retired in uh, 2001 mm -hmm. and for the next 13, actually, almost 15 years, I was a volunteer. Okay. I would go anywhere, do anything, but everything I did was pro bono. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of people surprised me by giving me gift certificates for restaurants when I spoke to their group, but that was not part of the deal. That was just a nice plus. Mm -hmm. And then two years ago, I sent an email to my speaking buddy, Patricia Fripp, with I think most people who are serious speakers know Patricia. She's been around a while, and she just got her 40-year pin from NSA, the National Speakers Association, where she's a past president. And she sent me a simple email that says, Gordon, share your wisdom. Mm -hmm. So I started the YouTube channel. I became active on LinkedIn, writing articles and uh, little bits. Uh, the whole idea is this, to encourage people to become better speakers. Right. And again, and it doesn't matter where that is. You know, maybe it is in front of their church or a committee or, you know, a big presentation. You know, and, and I love that you share your wisdom like this. Yeah. I, one thing you'll find uh, if you get a group of serious speakers together, that is people who see speaking the way Bill Gove, the first president of NSA, did, mm -hmm. that speaking is a performing art. Right. And the speaker, like an actor, isn't a speaker without an audience. Mm -hmm. Without an audience, a speaker doesn't exist. So right now, I'm speaking to you. You are my audience, and mm -hmm. sometime down the road, your audience you know, is going to hear this. Right. And, and so I will have an audience. Mm -hmm. The point is, the question is, what's the distinction between public speaking and non-public speaking? Mm -hmm. Every serious speaker has a different point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, some people say all speaking is public speaking. And that's true in a sense. But for me, public speaking begins when you have an audience and you are delivering a prepared message. Okay. And by prepared, that may mean you've scripted it and rehearsed it, mm -hmm. or it may mean that you've thought it through and you've developed it in conversation with other people. But the point is, it's a prepared message. Mm -hmm. And your mind is focused on delivering a particular message to a particular audience you have, you're working from a premise and you have an objective. Mm -hmm. That's not the same when you're sitting in a coffee shop with three or four of your buddies right. and chatting. Mm -hmm. That's public speaking in the purest sense of the word. But it's not public speaking 
in the way that I'm talking about, because you don't have a prepared message you're trying to deliver to a, a given audience. Mm -hmm. So that's so anyway, that's that's what I see. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, you've obviously been speaking for a very long time. Um, you know, you you mentioned to me that you started public speaking back in what, 1957? Well, 55 was when I gave my first public speech. I was the narrator of an Arthurian mimed play in high school. I read two of the three acts. <laughs> and I, I was hooked on speaking at that time. Mm -hmm. But I became a professional speaker in 1957, okay. 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the way I became a professional speaker was the way so many professional speakers get into the business mm -hmm. strictly by accident. Providence reached down, grabbed me and said, you're going to be a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. So at 19, I found myself teaching electronics as a technical instructor in the Air Force. Okay. Six hours a day, five days a week for almost two years. Wow. Yeah, so you, you develop the basic skill. Mm -hmm. And people tell me that, well, you're never nervous, you never, you're always relaxed. But when you speak six hours a day, five days a week for two years, any butterflies you ever had have long mm -hmm. become extinct. Right. It it be, becomes as natural as walking. Mm -hmm. So so that's how I got started, and then from there it progressed uh, through sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Then in 19 and where I was giving presentations on very complex scientific computers and other high tech things. So I had to prepare very complicated presentations mm -hmm. and up to an hour in length. And then in 1986, uh, as the internet was bubble was having problems, uh, the company I was with, uh, that I'd been with for over 10 years, laid me off along with over half of the employees, I think. So I became a consultant, and by a pure stroke of luck, a buddy of mine said, have you ever thought about teaching seminars? Mm -hmm. So I contacted three seminar companies that were teaching seminars around the country, uh, flew to Las Vegas for the big trade show, uh, interviewed all three, and one of them hired me. Mm-hmm. And within a year, I was developing seminars, maintaining seminars, teaching seminars, training instructors on how to deliver seminars. And I did that from 1987 till I retired in 2001. Mm -hmm. And again, those were multi-day seminars from 8.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon, three, four, or five days a week. So that's, that's sort of my background and mm -hmm. history on how I became a speaker. Uh, it turns out I was good at it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I met Bill Gove and uh, learned that uh, his view of speaking as a performing art was something I embraced. So I see myself as a performer. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Much like an actor. Right. The difference is that an actor has a director and a script and mm -hmm a stage and and co-actors, other actors, unless it's a one-person show, mm -hmm. whereas the speaker develops his or her own material 
and has to stage it and do what is t- what's needed to deliver the material. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a background. Right. Well, you know, one of the things, and, and I love your YouTube channel, and, and it's very easy to find. It's Story Gordon. You know, folks, go and subscribe <coughs> because it's great information. There are over 130 videos there. Let me say that again, folks. 130. And we'll talk more about the, the channel in, in detail pretty soon. But one of the things that, that I really liked is that it's, it's all of these very, um, some of them, are, well, they're very short. I love that. You know, most of the videos are a minute, two minutes long. And you have playlists. And again, you know, we'll talk about this in more detail later. But you talk about the fact that you do have to plan when you're getting ready to, to, to speak, whether it's actually, you know, really detailing something out or you know, at least having bullet points, things like that. Your background is an engineer. Do you think it helps that you are an engineer to, you know, because engineers have to go from A to B to C to D as opposed to some, somebody who is more creative and, um, you know, kind of just goes with the flow. Oh, that's a good question. I told you earlier I wasn't going to reveal any state secrets, <laughs> but okay, there's, yeah, there is a secret. Your videos. Mm-hmm. But there is a secret. It helps that I'm an engineer. I'm not only an engineer by education. Mm-hmm. I'm an engineer by personality, my mm-hmm. persona. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier about the process that I go through. I've actually altered that a little bit, but I think that the so-called creative or developmental process Mm -hmm. is fairly straightforward. Uh, The first step in it is to pay attention, but paying attention isn't enough in paying attention. You then have to focus on something. Mm -hmm. And so then focusing on it, you then form a perception from that perception, you assess the situation and say, okay, what does this mean? What's important here? Mm-hmm. Then you consider the alternatives and say, okay, what are the different things I could do? Mm-hmm. And you make a choice. And when you make a choice, you make a commitment and you follow through. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to developing a program, uh, by the way, uh, get a little plug here for to- I'm a Toastmaster. I belong to a Toastmasters club. And, and so that's a good place to go. Mm-hmm. There are other programs, processes, and people around who can help you. But if you want to become a better speaker, you need to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. You have and to you don't have to, you don't have to speak to a group all the time. Mm-hmm. You can practice speaking as you're driving around. People will look at you and say, oh, it's singing along with Beyonce or mm-hmm. Taylor Swift or Jay-Z or somebody. No, you're speaking. Right. <laughs> and you're not, <clears throat> not aware. The other thing, and this is something I try to get aspiring speakers to do. If you are among the populace who go to fast food places or coffee shops, mm-hmm. as you're standing in line waiting to place your order, Look around and try to come up with a line. Try to think of something to say that you might say in a speech to an audience to get a chuckle or a smile. Mm -hmm. And when you get up to place your order, before you do that, deliver the line. Ah. I had a young lady 
almost fall down one day at my favorite coffee place. They all wear shirts and name tags. Mm -hmm. And I walked up. She did not have on a name tag. Oh, no. And so I walked up to her and I said, uh, what's your name? And she says, my name is Kathy. I said, Kathy, I am so sorry. She said, what do you mean so sorry? I said, well, I noticed that you are a victim of identity theft. <laughs> she said, what? I said, well, someone's stolen your name tag. Well, I didn't think it was that funny. I was just trying to be conversational and nice. Well, she started laughing, and I had to wait before I could place my order. <laughs> but the point is, if you want to become serious about anything, mm -hmm. you think about it a lot. Right. And serious speakers, some of my buddies in the speaking business, they carry journals with them, mm -hmm. tape recorders, and they're always thinking about something they might say on a particular topic. Mm -hmm. And they write it down or they record it on something. I carry a big notebook with me, and I write things down all the time. In fact, I just put a uh, YouTube video up. It's called the Indexed Journal. And uh, it, I've, been, I've been journaling now for a long time. Mm -hmm. But the index journal allows me to write these thoughts down, and then I have an index at the front of it where I can identify what it is that I've been thinking about, whether mm -hmm. it's storytelling or vignettes or some particular topic. And that way, every day I have a new thought on it, I record it in the journal and then go back to the index and record the date next to the topic so okay. that... When I want to do something with it, then I can go find all my notes. Mm -hmm. I love so, that, you know, because so many people are always at the "what the heck do I say" stage, right. and and but we are always thinking, "Oh my gosh, that was something great that I just heard on the radio that would make a good thing to talk about," or you know, something you read or heard in conversation, all those various things, and keeping track of that. In, and writing it down because, yeah. you know, uh, our memories, and I don't care if we're 20 or, you know, 85 or, or more, they're not what they should be. You know, we've got, and, and most, most of it is we've just got too many things going on. So writing it down will help us in this process. If, if, if that works for you, mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, you, you, you're on to a very good point here. Two of the best speakers I ever knew. Mm -hmm. who sort of took me under their wings a little bit, like they were Dutch uncles. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Gove, who was the first president of NSA, mm -hmm. and Bob Murphy uh, from Nacogdoches, Texas, probably the opposites in the business. Mm -hmm. Because Bill Gove scripted, edited, rehearsed, and even choreographed his material. Okay. So that his body language showed what it was he was trying to do, okay. like arranging a centerpiece on a table or whatever. Murphy, on the other hand, stood behind the lectern and spoke. Mm. The only thing he did with his body was he was from Texas and wore a 10-gallon hat. Mm -hmm. And when he went to the lectern, he'd take his hat off. And that was the extent of his body language. And he just stood there and talked, mm -hmm. spoke. And he had people pounding on the table, blowing milk out their nose, falling out of their chairs. One of the funniest guys ever, just with his voice. Mm -hmm. 
So the point is this. Be who you are. Mm -hmm. Maybe amplify it a little bit. Learn the basic techniques of speaking, Mm -hmm. particularly enunciation. Right. This is the Achilles heel of speakers. They have this wonderful message, but they speak too softly. Mm -hmm. They run their words together. They slur their words. They, the audience needs to hear every word distinctly. Mm-hmm. One of the great uh, speaking coaches, Ron Arden, used to criticize speakers. He said, look, the goal of speaking is not to get it all in by speaking so fast you say everything. The goal of speaking is so the audience gets it all in. Mm-hmm which means you need to speak slowly at times, pause at times so they have time to think about what you said. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is probably a very important point in speaking, that speaking is all and only about creating an insightful audience experience, that you are only there for the audience. Mm-hmm. And if there are 100 people out there That's 100 different audiences because no two people will hear your message the same way. Mm -hmm. So, end of sermon. Well, and, you know, I I love that because it is, you know, it it is so many uh, ways. It's so important to have the technical aspects right. You know, is your voice well modulated? Um, You know, and... And, you know, speaking, it's it's funny, as you were talking about that, I remember back to my days in college, which were <clears throat> a while ago, and um, I was in a traveling theater group. It was a very small group. There were, you know, 10, 15 of us, and we spent a lot of time together, and our director was also the speech professor at the university. So, you know, it was it was one of these where he was continually hammering it into us that we had to enunciate. And part of what we did was, you know, I I mentioned we spent a lot of time together. We had meals together. We fixed meals together, all sorts of things. And so people would keep track. People in the group would keep track. When you mispronounced things, you got chores added to what we were doing. So, you know, if you said get as opposed to get, um, you know, all of the various things and those chores would add up. And pretty soon you would have to be the one cooking dinner or doing all the dishes, you know, and, and all of these things. And and it really it, it, it was obviously a game, but it was so very important because as we speak just casually, that is how we also will speak when we're in, in you know, giving our presentation. So if we're real casual and we're talking like this and we're saying, hey, I'm going to go get me some dinner then that's how you end up speaking when you are behind a podium or have a microphone or, you know, whatever it is. So it's important for people to really think, how do I speak all the time? Um, you know, and, and, and you don't want to come across as stilted, you know, because you're getting so proper and so correct. But it is something that is, you know, is, is, it's not an easy fix because it also is, you know, making sure you're taking things like, you know, and um, and all of those things out of when we speak. I've had people that I, I MC a lot and people will tell me, oh, my, they'll come up later on and say, oh, my gosh, you speak so well. Actually, they'll say good. And I want to correct them, you know, but um, <laughs> they will. And, and, and I say, well, I speak for a living. 
I, you know, I do this radio program, I do presentations and, and things like that. But it's always in my mind to think about that theater group. You know, was I going to have to do more chores because I was saying things that people couldn't understand or just, you know, little colloquialisms, things like that. Right. I have a, a, a little bit of a running debate with many people, not so much the professionals, because the professionals that I know understand what it takes to be an effective speaker. Mm -hmm. But the aspiring speakers very often are looking for secrets or tricks or shortcuts. Mm -hmm. There aren't any. Right. <laughs> you know? Practice, They're... practice, practice is the secret and well, the shortcut. But, and prepare and think about the audience. Mm -hmm. the, as, a, as an actor, I've done a little bit of acting. Mm -hmm. It's not my... It's not my province. I'm a speaker. I like creating original material. Mm -hmm. Bill Gove was one, a buddy of mine, a great speaker, beat me up all the time because I kept changing my material. Mm -hmm. And he was the consummate professional who scripted, choreographed, and did his material exactly the same every time. Mm -hmm. Although, as you could tell with the great actors like Olivier or Streep or whomever, you couldn't tell they were delivering rehearsed scripted material. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of that, uh, a buddy of mine, Scott McCain, played an interview at the NSA convention several years ago. He interviewed Meryl Streep. Mm. And if I remember this correctly, in the interview, he looked at her and he said, Miss Streep, you do films and you do some stage, but what do you do in your time off? Because there have to be times when you have no work to do for several months. She looked at him and she says, well, Scott, I attend acting classes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep attends acting classes? I, yeah, well, but how do you, uh, to go to a sports metaphor... When Tiger Woods was the number one ranked player for 12 straight years, every week for 12 years, he was the number one player. He had his workout schedule up on his website. Right. Well, he spent an hour or more in the gym with weights. Mm -hmm. He spent an hour or more a day on cardio. Mm -hmm. He spent an hour or more a day putting. He spent played 18 holes of golf every day. Mm -hmm. I mean... You look at it and say, wait a minute, he's working harder on his practice days than he works on his playing days. Right. And uh, another example, I'm a big fan of women's college basketball. Mm -hmm. And I, partake, I like excellence in anything. Well, the University of Connecticut women's basketball team. They're about as good as you get. Well, but why are they? And they interviewed one of the players, and I can't remember if it was Bria Hartley or who one day. I think it was Bria Hartley. Mm -hmm. And they said, how is it you guys are so good? She says, it's very simple. We don't practice until we get it right. We practice until we can't get it wrong. Mm. Now, there's a line for you. Right. And good speakers do that. Mm -hmm. So do actors. Mm -hmm. People talk about whether you should script your material or not script your material. It's unimportant. What's important is that you know your material. Right. So that 
you don't have to stop and think about what comes next. Mm -hmm. As Gove said, you know what comes next. And by knowing what comes next, you can be relaxed Mm -hmm. and natural. Right. Well, and also there will be things that happen when you're speaking. Right. And by knowing your material, you can deal with that. I mean, you know, how many times have we seen someone that's speaking and something happens? Person sneezes, you know, door bangs, phone rings, <laughs> all these various things. And it totally throws them because yep. they, you know, and and or, you know, some and, and somebody asks a question and, and that was not part of what they had practiced. You know, all of those various things. And you're so right. If you if you know your material and you you know what you're doing, you can deal with those interruptions and you should deal with those interruptions. You know, somebody sneezes when I'm giving a presentation, I will say, bless you. And then yep. I'll go right back into to saying what I was talking about. Heaven forbid you have hecklers. You know, I've, yep. I've had heckles. I, you know, I was giving a LinkedIn presentation and I got heckled. It was the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> but, you know, and but and but it was interesting because. I ended up, I mean, the, it was, long story short, it was a, a course that people paid for. And it was a gentleman who was just not happy with the world. You know, he just, there right. there were you know, obviously things. And after he interrupted me, well, probably for the fifth time, I finally said, sir, this is clearly not what you want to, to be hearing. We'll be, we'll be more than happy to refund your money, but please leave. Yeah. And everybody applauded. At yep. which then I kind of felt bad, but you know, and but then I went right back into my presentation. But I also learned from what he said because one of his comments when he, you know, very loudly interrupted me, <coughs> excuse me, I would say, Now we do this and we do that. And he said, You're not one of us, you don't know, you can't say we. And I right. paused for a moment and I and I acknowledged that and I said, Sir, you are right. And so yep. I changed right then to be saying you will see this and you and, and things like that. But, you know, so his heckling was was a good thing. But I knew my material. I could change on the fly like that without getting totally flummoxed. Now, was I happy? No. I mean, you know, it was it was kind of weird to be, you know, heckled at a program. But things happen. And so if you have your material and you know what it is, then you can deal with it. Right. Uh, one Another speaker, I'll drop some names here because I've, I've had the great good fortune in my 10 years or 11 or 12 or 14, whatever it was in the National Speakers Association, to get to know some really good speakers. Mm-hmm. Terry Paulson, in a program he did many years ago, said, look, when it comes to ad-libbing, have prepared ad-libs. Right. There are all sorts of things that happen to speakers. Mm-hmm. The lights go out. The mic doesn't work. Uh, one of the servers drops a tray of dishes. Mm-hmm. A fire alarm goes off. Something happens. Mm-hmm. And you need to be prepared. The other thing is, though, like you as you said, the situations that occur that are unexpected. Mm-hmm. And one of my most memorable was Jeannie Robertson preparing a wonderful program at an NSA convention. And someone had a medical emergency in the audience. Oh, dear. And we weren't sure what it was. Mm -hmm. And she just said, looked at the audience and says, let's just stop for a while. Right. Let's pause. There are people taking care of this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take some time. Talk to your neighbors. 
And once the emergency situation is settled, I'll get back to the program. Right. Because she couldn't compete with that. Well, and she, and she didn't. Well, that's right. Mm-hmm. But, but the point is, she knew her material. It took maybe five minutes or mm-hmm. so. And I think the person had gone into insulin shock or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, it was taken care of. And the person mm-hmm. left the room and uh, walked out and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And then she just, like an old movie that had been broken and stopped, she started the projector again. And within mm-hmm. two minutes, she was back into her program mm-hmm. right on track doing her material. Right. By the well, way, by the way, mm-hmm. Jeannie Robertson's video. Uh, YouTube channel is a must see for anyone who wants to be funny. She's had over, she's had over 30 million views of her videos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've had like (laughs) 5,000. Well, and she's, I I actually heard her at a, at an NSA presentation here in Georgia. She came in and spoke to us. She is just an absolute delight and and what she was speaking to us about was how she does what she does. So she wasn't giving one of her performances. Right. And it was fascinating because, you know, she talked about the one of the things she talked about was she was always looking for more material. Right. That's exactly what we said. And she, you know, I, I also like the fact that she said, you know, sometimes now clearly she's a comedian. So that is very different than if you were giving, say, a technical presentation <clears throat> or something where, you know, the, the facts have to be the facts. Right. But as a comedian, she said, you know, she she looked for ways that then she could maybe spin the story a little bit. So maybe, you know, she thought something as it was happening. And then when she tells the story, she actually has somebody saying it. Some things like that. And and but, you know, she also always said she's always looking for ways to improve. And I mean, she she is the consummate performer. And and I absolutely love her. I you know, I subscribe to her YouTube channel and, and all these various things. But, you know, when you think of someone like her, like Meryl Streep, like, you know, um, Tiger Woods, all of these people, as you mentioned, it is about continually honing your process. Um, right. I love I, I watched, you know, I didn't watch all 130 plus videos, but I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's fun <laughs> because, you know, they're, they're, they're very informative. But one of the things that you mentioned several times is, you know, write this down, but write it in pencil because it will change. And I love that concept. Well, thank you. I, uh, I carry a half sheet lined paper with me mm-hmm. uh, in my notebook. I've got a little uh, folder in the back where I can slide those half sheets. When I'm working on something original that I want to do, I'm working on a program right now that I'll be giving Thursday called uh, I'm Selling Who's Buying. Mm-hmm. And the subject of the program, I like the title, I'm, I'm Selling Who's Buying. Mm-hmm. But the topic of the program is speaking to influence. Mm-hmm. How do you speak so that you can be an influence to the audience without being a tyrant? Okay. How can you, and their, uh, the Bill Gove uh, model was what he called the vignette, which had three parts, a premise, the problem and the solution to the problem or the resolution of the problem mm-hmm. and a payoff. And without going, it, it, it's a long uh, journey to explain the vignette. But basically, the premise is, 
here's what I believe. This is my opinion. Here's my point of view on this issue. The second part is basically, I know that that point of view is not universal, mm -hmm. that there are differences of opinion. And then he would explore the differences of opinion as to the pros and the cons to his point of view. Then just explain why it was that he had come to this particular point of view. And then the payoff was what he got out of holding that particular point of view. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that if you want to influence people, how do you want to influence them? Do you want to influence them to your way of thinking that uh, offering your opinions, your ideas, your views as being universal, that anyone who disagrees is wrong? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to offer your point of view acknowledging that this is not a fact, this is an opinion, and there are many people who have other opinions, here's my opinion, here's why I hold it that way, think about it. <laughs> so, well, and your whole premise of what you do is that you know that 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 you just have suggestions that may or may not work for people. Um, you know, and, and that's what I really like. You're not saying you have to do it this way. Right. It's here's the way that works for you. Maybe it'll work for for someone else. Maybe you need to adapt it. Maybe you'll think that's a bunch of hooey, but. I, I, it's not written in stone. So again, you want to write it in pencil. Yep. Yeah. The only the only exception I I make to that, uh, not a hard exception, is if you want to be a humorist. If you want, if funny is your goal, I think it's fairly well agreed among funny people, uh, comics, comedians, humorists, people who use humor, Jeannie Robinson, whoever that the way to do that is to write the material you want to say straight. Okay. And write it so that you've got it down cold. Mm -hmm. For example, on November the 19th, 1986, my boss called me to his office and said, Gordon, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're being laid off. And we'd like for you to be out of here by 4.30 because if you're still here at 5 o'clock, it'll be depressing. I'm sorry. If you're still here at 5 o'clock when everyone else leaves, it'll be depressing. That's a fact. That is a verbatim quote. But that's not the way I tell the story. Right. On November the 19th, 1986, a day I'll remember forever. My boss called me to his office and said, Gordon, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're being laid off. And I looked at him and said, boss, I think you said that perfectly. It was short to the point, and I knew exactly what you meant. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on. We'd like for you to be out of here by 4.30. I thought, man, I'm getting 30 minutes uh, free. This is great because if you're still here at five o'clock when everyone else leaves, it'll be depressing. And it's a depressing. I know the feeling. Okay, now, 
when you do that cold, like in this interview, it may not mm -hmm. work as well as if you're in an audience where you're right. using facial expressions, mm -hmm. pauses, and you've already played with the audience enough to where they're warmed up and they're ready for something. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you, you, t you write the material straight. Then you go through it and you look at every person, place, thing, phrase, cliche, situation, and brainstorm, what could I say here that's funny? Mm -hmm. And don't you, you don't have to do it on everything. You just pick your spots. Right. So that's it. to me, that's the only exception to the – most people I know who write humor – uh, have a approach that they pick a situation, write it straight, and then build the humor onto mm -hmm. it uh, to make it funny. Right. And, of course, humor is very tricky. And, and so I like the fact that it's actually planned out because I think that is sometimes where we see a joke or whatever go astray. Right. Is when someone ad libs to it. Um, you know, they, they might add in a current situation or something like that, and then they go down the wrong path. So having that, you know, kind of laid out in advance allows you to deal with that. But again, you know, it's it's like we were saying, by having it planned, you know what you're going to say. So right. you know, you might look out at your audience and realize this is not funny to them, so you cut it short. Or, you know, you might have a different line that you add into it, you know, and, and so it's it's something that it, it does have to be planned. And I think where we do see humor go in the wrong direction is when somebody totally ad-libs it. Now, obviously, there are people who are extremely good at that. But for the most part, most of us can't think that fast on our feet. Actually, uh, the idea of ad-libbing is uh, misrepresented sometimes. Another speaker, Mark Mayfield, uh, I did a workshop at NSA years ago on humor. Okay. And he's primarily was a stand-up comedian, but he also did corporate programs and conventions. Robin Williams. He loved Robin Williams, and he would go to Robin Williams' concerts or shows. Mm -hmm. And he realized after the second or third one, that Robin Williams ad libs were all prepared material. Right. Mm -hmm. That he wasn't ad libbing. That he, what he had was he had a mental file cabinet of bits of mm -hmm. of bits, and so if he had a bit for a guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt, <clears throat> and he saw him in the audience, he would make that connection and then drop the bit, mm -hmm. or somebody bald or somebody wearing great big glasses, mm -hmm. or two guys sitting together at a table, that that material was all prepared. Right. And then having that, as we spoke earlier, knowing he had this wealth of material to draw from when he needed it, he was then free to deliver spontaneous ideas as they came. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking earlier about the dealing with hecklers or other situations in audiences. Like if you know your material, then you're relaxed and comfortable to deal with the unexpected. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and the unexpected is always going to happen. I mean, you know, the, very rarely does a presentation go completely the way you planned from start to finish. Um, if it ever does, mark that on the calendar. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, because things will happen, even if it is just something as simple as somebody's phone rings. Um, you know, and, and oh, you know, I remember this was an awards program I was watching, you know, many years ago. And Barbara Streisand was winning one of the, the, you know, she was getting a Lifetime Achievement whatever award. And somebody's phone rang. And she stopped cold in her tracks and gave them a look that just withered them. You know, and and, and then she kind of laughed and she went on. But you could see everybody else in that audience quickly turning their phones off. Um, you know, and... and but yeah, you know, things things happen. You know, if something like that could interrupt Barbara Streisand, holy schmoly, you know, we're all going to get interrupted. So it is about being prepared, and then being able to to deal with it. Don't act like it didn't happen. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes throws people. Obviously, it depends on what it is, but sometimes they act like it didn't happen. You know, you mentioned earlier a waiter drops a tray of plates. That's a big crash. Right. If you act like it didn't happen, that's a little bit weird, um, you know, and, and so, you know, have something in there. And again, maybe it's, you know, it's a little joke that you've got in your head, you know, about, OK, everybody clap because everybody always claps when a waiter drops a tray. Right. Um, you know, all those various things. And then you go on. But it, it comes back to exactly what you were saying. And that's being prepared. Right. Yeah. It, speaking of preparation. Uh, I'm I'm reluctant to offer this as a as a rule or anything, but a I guideline. do I do know this as a professional speaker. If mm -hmm. anyone listening to this program wants to become a professional speaker, you have to do what my high school English and journalism teacher had on the wall behind her desk: hard. Writing makes for easy reading. And I would change that to hard preparation makes for easy speaking. Mm, I love it. One of my buddies who was a stand-up comic before he uh, became a professional speaker at conventions and conferences and business meetings said that he tried to get one minute of new material a day. So that he developed five to six minutes of new material a week. Mm -hmm. And his tour in the humor circuit was his agent had him set up to go to eight or nine different comedy clubs every week. Okay. So that when he came back to this same comedy club nine weeks later, he had 45 minutes of new material. Mm. Because he had prepared five or six minutes of new material every week. Mm -hmm. Bill Gove, whose vignette was his contribution to speaking, tried to develop one new vignette a week. Okay. And as he said, some of them weren't very good, but I always tried to develop a new vignette on a new issue every week. Mm -hmm. A vignette typically ran five to seven minutes. So look at this. Over here you have a professional speaker who does platform speaking, and over here you have a stand-up comedian who's developing humor, and they're both developing about five to seven minutes of new material a week. I love it. When I was teaching seminars, 
from 8.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon, three, four, or five days in a row. I spent an hour every morning getting ready for the day, an hour to two hours every night debriefing that day and getting ready for the next day. Mm -hmm. And I only worked 80 to 100 days a year. So I had 100 days a year and I worked four to six hours a day refining my material, updating my student notebooks, and keeping current with the latest standards. Mm -hmm. it's, so you, if you really want to be successful in speaking, you have to love it, and you have to be willing to invest in it. Right. Uh, but that's, that's not unique to speaking. <laughs> right. I, you should always, and, and you, know, I'm, I, you, you should always be learning. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's about your industry, you know, the world, whatever, you should always be learning. Yeah. I've got a buddy who teaches communications at the local university, and she invites me to come and speak to her classes uh, every semester for an hour or so. Mm -hmm. And my fund, my underlying principle is very simple. What I call full immersion living. Just mm -hmm. Jump into the deep end of the pool, whatever it is that you love doing, do it. Mm -hmm. Ashley Montague had a great, two great lines in his book on growing young. The first line was, I spent my life doing what I loved and got paid for some of it. Mm -hmm. The second line was, my goal in life is to die young as late as possible. I love that saying. Yeah, it, he was great. So uh, what else? Would, we've really had a good session here. What else right. do we need to cover? Well, we've got about 10 minutes left, not quite that. And so I want to talk a little bit about your YouTube channel. You know, I love that you have so embraced it. You know, as we mentioned, <laughs> there is over 130 videos there. You have topics, you know. So, again, we're not, not giving away the farm here. We want people to watch. But you have things like Story Gordon's Top 10 List for Better Speaking. And it's not one really long video. It's a, a series of videos that are about, you know, a minute each long. And I, you know, I really like that concept because then if somebody wants to, it's easy for them to go back and listen to that tip again. Or maybe they don't need tip four and five. So they, they skip ahead, you know, all these various things. But one of the, the comments that I saw that several people posted on your, your videos was the fact that you look so relaxed and obviously very professional. You know, and, and you mentioned the fact that you've been doing this a long time. But how do you do your videos? You know, do you edit them yourselves? Do you script it? All these various things that people, you know, it, because people want to do videos. You know, we mentioned that that is how people consume information. And then they their their brain shuts off and they don't know what to do. So kind of walk us through the process of, of you know, how you do a, a quick little series of videos. Well, it, thanks. It's an evolving process, Deb. Mm -hmm. I never do it the same way. That Remember, I told you earlier that right. that was Bill, Bill Gove's knock on me was you never do your stuff the same way. You've got mm -hmm. to do it the same way. No, you don't right. have to do it the same way. Be yourself. <clears throat> Here's what I do. I choose a topic. I write a premise of, 25 to 50 words, okay. which is, here's what I want to achieve speaking about this topic. Okay. Then <clears throat> I create an opening, a middle, and a closing. Mm -hmm. And it evolves. 
when I get to the point that I'm ready to uh, do the video, <clears throat> I create a one-page outline of, of lines of points. Okay. Each one, and I set this in about 18-point type bold, so, mm -hmm. and then I tape it below my camera. I've, I've got an inexpensive, I don't use the webcam in my system. Okay. I bought a, <clears throat> I've forgotten what it is. It's one of the Logitech high def uh, 920 or something like that. Okay. I got it on sale for like 60 bucks. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I hook it into my computer uh, and I essentially start the, start the camera, record the video. I have dead time on the front where I'm getting positioned and get my face just right. So I, I it's recording. I look in the camera, <clears throat> record the clip, mm -hmm. let the recording run for a while, then stop it. Okay. And then I ask myself, how was that? Do you, you really want to put that up on the internet? No, I don't want to do that one. So then I'll take a drink of water and think about it. But I've got this outline taped to my tripod right below my camera. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's got its little lines on there, of thing, uh, notes of things I want to say. Okay. So then I do it again. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I ask myself, how'd that go? Uh, the w latest one I put up, which was uh, on Bilgo speaker, Mm -hmm. which is the trailer that runs about three minutes and 40 seconds or something like that. Just went up yesterday. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's about Bill Gove. And I recorded that about eight times. Gave up. My wife and I had a meeting to go to. And when I came back from the meeting, I put on my shirt and tie and sat down and I started it up, rec recorded it again. And it was a take. Perfect. Now, I edit it using Microsoft's Movie Maker. But the only thing I edit is I use the trim edit feature. And I basically trim off the front part I don't want to put up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I trim off the back part I don't want to put up on YouTube. And so what I put up there is one take. Okay. And so I don't get into editing. I don't hire editors. I don't put graphics in it. I'm a speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sit in a chair in front of my bookcase. I don't try to use body language. I just speak. Mm -hmm. Well, and several things about watching your videos. Of course, the since they're only you know a minute ish, <coughs> if you know it, that's why you don't have to edit in the middle because you know you're just doing these short snippets. <laughs> then you tie them all together into a playlist. But the thing that struck me the most, and this is something that I see so many people do incorrectly. You're looking at the camera, and it, it looks exactly like you are talking to me. And, you know, that's where so many people mess up. They've got their camera in a funny place, so they're looking up, they're looking down, they're looking sideways, you know, whatever. They're, they're reading the script, all these various things. And, and yours is so personable that I think that's part of why it's, they're so appealing is, you know, I look at that, and I'm like, wow, Gordon's talking right to me. Well, thank you. I... I, I try to do that, the uh, but you know I've been speaking so long, and I've also been in audiences so much. 
Mm-hmm. Think about it. If you're speaking to a group of a hundred people, everyone in that audience is thinking about something different. Right. And if you think that what you're saying is more important than what they're thinking about, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you may need professional help. Right. To me, the, the, the highest calling for a speaker is to be a catalyst. Mm-hmm. To And I don't know how much chemistry you have, but in chemistry, one of the experiments is to try to run an experiment, a reaction between two elements, and it doesn't happen. And you mm-hmm. drop in something like magnesium dioxide, and all of a sudden the reaction occurs. But then when you assess the product, you find out the magnesium dioxide hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. That as a catalyst, it didn't change. It just caused the reaction. Right. And to me, that's what speakers do, is that we deliver lines that may have meaning to us, but will have completely different meanings to others. Mm-hmm. My first catalytic line was from my mom. She said it every time I left the house. Gordon, be good and have fun. Mm -hmm. Well, if you assess that line and say, wait a minute. If I live my life with the goal of being good and having fun, that's not a bad way to live. Right. That's a really good way to live. Yeah. And then... Bob Murphy, at the end of his speech in Palm Desert, California, years ago, to about 4,000 speakers and their staffs and families, closed a 45-minute speech with this. He said, I'll close with this. I could have probably stood up and said this and sat down. It would have been as good a speech as I could have said. Remember, every good speaker was once a bad speaker who kept on speaking. And if money is all you're getting out of speaking, you ain't getting enough. (laughs) Now, when you think about that, some people in the audience were thinking, I'm not getting enough money. Mm -hmm. Other people were saying, wait a minute, there are things that I get out of speaking that have nothing to do with money. Mm -hmm. It's a catalytic line. And so that is, I think, the kind of thing that speakers can do that, and you'll, and quite often you won't know that you've done it mm-hmm. because that line may not pop up in the audience head for years afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, Gordon, speaking of closing lines, we are at the top of the hour and this has been just absolutely delightful. And I want as many people to find you as possible. So how do they find you online and connect with you? Well, my, I'm on LinkedIn and the web and on YouTube. Uh, but storygordon.com is my website. Perfect. And uh, <coughs> I'm, not, I'm not really, you know, I'm retired and I'm enjoying this. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, I do some speaking locally. I've got several local people who have me, a university professor and the head of a leadership uh, group. And so I still do my speaking. 
the the thing that is important to me as a speaker mm-hmm. is to be prepared. Great. And so I'm giving a little six minute speech Thursday, and I've already spent about four hours preparing for it. Wow. Well, it's and you say, wait a minute, you've got sixty years of experience. But the point is, I'll only have an audience of 15 or 20 people. Mm-hmm. But if I do the speech well, and if I'm really who I am as a speaker, I think one of the subtle uh, effects that speakers have when they are being themselves is that the people in the audience may not pick up on this. It may be what we call a subliminal ad. But if you're really being yourself when you're speaking, you're essentially telling everyone in the audience, hey, be yourself. It's not only okay, it's great. Perfect. You know, and on on that note, Gordon, we are going to end. I am Deb Creer. I've been having just an absolutely delightful time talking with Story Gordon Hill today. And to everyone out there, have an absolutely fabulous day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.